sana, sana, un grito de rana. Si no te sanas hoy, te sanas mañana. No matter how much pain you are in, this little phrase always makes you feel better. Navigating the field of public health can come with growing pain. The Latinx young professionals are navigating the public health field while helping others along the way. Join us this season as we explore Latinidad in public health. This is Sana Sana, Latinos in public health. Hi, and welcome to Sana Sana. My name is Cynthia Lebron, and I'm here today with my two co-hosts, Andrea Medeiros and Andrea Jacobo. Say hi, Andreas. Hello. <laughs> we hello, are, hello. <laughs> we are very, very, very excited for the next couple of episodes as we start season three, because we are going to be collaborating with GLADO, the Center for Latino um, Research Opportunities. And today we have one of the uh, PIs, Dr. Victoria Behar Sussman. So, hi, Dr. Behar Sussman. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here too. The reason that we're doing this is actually uh, Dr. Behar Sussman is um, my boss <laughs> and actually happens to be uh, next door to me uh, right now. Um, but I just, the work that is being done at Claro is um, so amazing. And I thought it would be really um, influential for um, Dr. Behar Zuzman to come on and talk to us about it um, and weave in a little bit of, about herself too and we want to learn more about her in, in general. So why don't you start by telling us where you and your family are from? Okay well I was born in Cuba um, and my family my parents were born in Cuba my grandparents were not um, so my family is originally of Turkish Jewish Sephardic origin so my grandparents uh, on both sides were born in Turkey and they um, immigrated um, to Cuba uh, soon after like the fall of the Ottoman Empire. And so my parents were born in Cuba and I was born in Cuba and uh, left Cuba to, for the United States when I was two years old. And you were two. Yeah. How is that? That's um, an interesting like story background. How does that, how do you think like all those parts of your culture kind of influenced you? Oh, in, in many ways. But I mean, part of it is sort of the double displacement, right? So the family had to, you know, and I'm sure ancestors before that had to escape from, you know, Spain during the Inquisition and, you know, and so forth. But that was probably a while, a while before. But uh, the double displacement just sort of like needing to, you know, you get into a place, you get acculturated and it's time to, to move again. What I love about that, what you just said, is like it, it just adds layers to what uh, the experience, the Cuban experience, um, because what people may see is, you know, opposite to that, that there's, you know, there's just so many cultures, with, even within the Cuban culture. And so I, I really appreciate your giving a background on your how and uh, on how your family got to Cuba, but also how this the sense of double displacement that has occurred in your family yeah very definitely yeah how do you think that shaped like the work that you're doing now um well i mean definitely very much i my my work has been in family first as a clinician so i'm a, I'm a psychologist and um and worked for for years as a family therapist within clinical trials of family family interventions for uh, Latino families 
um, early on, you know, in the 70s, 80s, particularly Cuban families, and then with each round of, of sort of stream of immigration to, to Miami, uh, first the Central Americans because of the, of the, of the wars and civil wars and, and the political upheaval there and there, and then later more people from South America because of economic upheaval and, and, um, and also political upheaval and then Venezuela. So we keep seeing these streams of, of, of immigrants and our work early on at the Center for Family Studies um, was really focused on, on sort of the, the conflicts that happen in families between adolescents and parents because of differential rates of acculturation in different generations, right? How kids will acculturate more quickly than, than parents do. And I definitely saw that in, in my family. Uh, so it was something that definitely resonated for me. Um, and so, and in, in, my, in my case, it really wasn't uh, that problematic, but in the, some of the families that we were seeing because we were seeing them because of, of adolescent behavior problems, uh, it caused strife you know the parents were expecting the kids to be more sort of uh, family uh, focused family oriented and the kids were very much influenced by their peers which is normal and in, in, in we see that in American families too but it was more felt more foreign to these uh, Latino families where so it was causing more and more conflict and then the other thing you know when my parents left Cuba one of the stories you know I grew up my whole life listening to the Cuban, refugee story, you know, even though I hadn't really experienced it so much firsthand. And part of the story was that my parents left when Cuba, when they left in 1961, because there was starting to be um, sort of murmurs or really maybe actually implementation of separation of families or of telling families that they couldn't leave Cuba if they had sons that were past like a certain age, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, I don't know. Well, one of the, some of the work we started working with um, in, in our family therapy work was working with families, uh, again, because the children were having behavior problems where there had been these separations where parents had immigrated to the United States, often the moms, you know, just to be able to make ends meet, to make a living, to send money back to their countries. They had come by themselves, left the children behind with grandparents, sometimes with, you know, other families, sometimes, you know, kind of the kids were on their own and had been, and while the moms were sending all this money back and had been separated maybe six, seven, eight years. And then the child finally was, the you know, mother was able to get the child here in, in the United States. And then they couldn't understand why they were having problems as a family in terms of, of attachment issues and, and behavior problems and, and so forth. So that very much, I think, uh, that and so we started working on on a module specifically for working with with separated families. Um, so that also for me resonated a lot. And I think my experience to some extent yeah. influenced our focus on that. Yeah, no, definitely. Andrea had once had something that she wanted to clarify. Yeah, definitely. I, I um, what I appreciate what you just explained is even the struggle of you know, families assimilating or acculturating in, 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 in American life. And so there's a, there's a, for our audiences that may not know exactly um, the differences between assimilation and acculturation, can you explain a little bit more and how that, what's the difference between that and how that affects dynamics within the family? Yeah, and true. And, and I may have used the term interchangeably, which I think people often do. And that's 
technically not really right. So um, acculturation is the extent to which you sort of adopt um, cultures, behaviors that are you know, similar to the host culture, right? So you start getting accommodated to the host culture, whereas assimilation is more sort of doing that, but also leaving behind or letting go of your, um, of your native culture, right? And so um, I don't remember exactly how I used it, but it could be along the lines that kids were letting go more of their sort of native culture and, and parents were really wanting to hang on to that. And, you know, I certainly saw that in my own family where, you know, for a good 20 years after we left Cuba, the idea was to go back, right? And so if the idea is to go back, Right. then you, you know, you only pick up what you need to pick up, but you don't, you know, in terms of the, of the new culture, you know, right. but, you know, but you don't necessarily, you hang on to the values. And what we found is for, for Latino families that those cultural values are protective for kids. And to the extent that they hold on to them, that's something that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that sort of helps to make the distinction. Yeah, that's really good. It definitely helps, especially like um, as families start to grow and as we are adopting different cultures, we even within our culture, they even we talk to Andreas and Andrea and Cynthia and I always talk about these pipe biculturalism that that exists within being Latino um, and being American as well. Right. Thank you for explaining explaining in, in the context. Yeah. So you talked a little bit um, about the Center for Family Studies. Is that kind of where, like, where every your career kind of kicked off, or was that like yes, the beginning, the sure. middle? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. The Center for Family Study is um, it, it's a center today within the Department of Public Health Sciences here at the University of Miami. But when I was there, it was part of the Department of Psychiatry. Um, and that's where I started working pretty much soon after graduate school and started part-time when my kids were, were smaller and really working in research for the first time. My, my intention when I was in graduate school was to be a clinician. Um, and so I started out working as a clinician in the clinical trials and uh, then, you know, gradually really started getting excited about sort of the research aspects of this, you know, the, the intervention development and intervention sort of uh, modification as, as our populations changed a little bit and, and how we, and in terms of both age of children, level of, of um, complexity of their problems, moved on to work with women living with HIV at which point I started working also with African-American families. So um, that is where I, my career started uh, until I got turned on enough that I said, I, you know, I wanna write a grant and um, uh, was successful in getting a, a K, K01, uh, which I don't know they still allow that today, but when I got my K01, I was already kind of middle-aged. Um, and, um, <laughs> but, but new to research. Yeah, I think that's the important part. I don't think so. I mean, that's important. The audience that's listening to this is, you know, some some people don't even know what a KO one is. So, um, so it's really just, uh, and I think it's meant mostly for junior faculty. Um, I don't think that the age may, maybe is. Well, I, I don't think I, I don't. I was definitely more than ten years out from. Ah, I see. I see. My PhD. Okay. Uh, so that's that's the more technical part. So yeah, a K a K grant, K O one, K twenty three. There's some other Ks are are mentored career development um, grants. 
Yeah. Cool. And and then you stuck with it, research. I did. I did. And um, I, I after I had the K, um, which was focused on actually families of uh, Latino caregivers of uh, people with Alzheimer's disease. Uh-huh. Um, but after that, moved back really more into the HIV realm and the women living with HIV and mothers with HIV and looking at their families. And at that point, was able to get an R grant, which is a, a, re- a large research grant to look at family functioning in um, women, uh, African-American women actually living with HIV and in substance abuse recovery. Um, wow. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work that spans a lot of different like um, health conditions and different populations. So what kind of brought you to GLADO? So when I had the R grant, the, the HIV positive moms grant at the Department of Psychiatry, I had um, a diversity supplement scholar who came uh, and came t- and worked with me, Elias Vasquez, who was um, a, a nurse, who is a nurse. And he was a faculty member in the School of Nursing and Health Studies. And as we got to know each other, uh, he, he told me about um, an opportunity here at the School of Nursing and Health Studies to work on a grant, um, on a center grant application with the former, the dean who was here at that time, Nina Perigalo. Um, and uh, we wrote a grant and um, it was such a great experience that I asked her for a job in nursing. And, <laughs> uh, and I broke the uh, disciplinary barrier here in, in nursing. I was the first non-nurse to be on the faculty here. And so that was our, and we were successful. That was our first cycle. The nice thing is she hired me without us getting, before we got the grant. So. Oh, that is nice. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So we got the grant, we were successful. And that was our, that was 2007. And that was our first five-year cycle for what was that? It wasn't Claro back then though. It was called El Centro. Uh, and it, it was basically the name came along. This audience will understand. We just kept talking about it, you know, el centro this and el centro that. And we were like, oh, what, what are we going to call it? And we just said, well, let's just call it el centro. And, oh, that's cute. Uh, I like that. So, um, and then now we're finishing. Actually, we're in the in the fifth year of our third cycle. And in this cycle, we have partnered with another institution, Florida International University, and we're working together. And so we renamed the, um, the Center of Excellence, uh, GLADO, the Center for Latino Health Research Opportunities. What, um, what are some of the, the greatest achievements of GLADO, do you think? You know, I think the greatest achievements of GLADO, so GLADO does sort of a couple of different things. One is to actually have um, research studies as part of the center. So each year we've had two sort of large, large-ish research studies. Um, and then the other, another major focus of Claro and of, you know, before that El Centro was to do community engaged work. So a lot of the work has been, you know, really talking to people from local community agencies, anywhere from sort of really small storefront kinds of places that are working with, you know, very vulnerable populations to all the way up to the Department of Health, you know, from uh, Miami-Dade County. And so always community engaged work. Uh, To me, the part of Claro and and before that El Centro that has been most influential, I think, is really helping to really, maybe launch is too strong a word, but to really help to 
nurture the, the career development of early career, um, particularly Latino young faculty. And uh, pro by providing them with pilot funds, by providing them with mentorship, by providing um, different kinds of educational experiences and, and opportunities to network uh, with each other, which I think is to me one of the most really fun parts of, of the job is having uh, young faculty really give each other peer mentorship. I really enjoy that. But also connecting them with um, faculty, not only at our institutions, but you know, across the country. Yeah, yeah, like the the institute, the exactly. Institute, which I've attended a couple of times, and each time it's like amazing. There's so much to learn, and the networking is great, and um, and you really get to learn from like you know researchers all over the country. Just so fun, <laughs> so fun. Um, what what did you before I say another question, Andreas? Do you have any other thoughts or? I guess more of, did you ever, like when you were first getting to school and everything, did you ever think this would be where you would want to be? No, I have to say that really unlike a lot of the young uh, scholars that I've worked with, which really, who really seem to have, at least they seem to have, they are sort of the, the trajectory really sort of planned out and I need to do this and then comes that and et cetera. I was much more of a sort of go with the flow kind of, I've had a much more go with the flow kind of career. Like I said, I started out to be a clinician and I started out part-time um, and then really just got the, the research bug and, um, and really enjoyed that a lot. And then in terms of my focus areas, it's always the one thing that's been consistent across over time has been family and family intervention work and family measurement work, which I didn't talk about, but the populations have been very different over time. Uh, so first it was adolescents who were, um, you know, sort of just starting to get in some trouble. Then it was sort of kids who are already using drugs or already in trouble with the law, then the, the, the Alzheimer's work and then the, um, the HIV work and, and really where, where I am today, which is kind of a sort of a, um, a continuation of the work that we did with the women living with HIV is really an interest in working with mothers um, who are you know, vulnerable because they have stigmatized conditions that also sort of make them, you know, um, make them vulnerable to health conditions, to mental health problems, to stigma, et cetera. So I work with moms who uh, have uh, substance abuse or mental health challenges and uh, trying to help them to really focus on their own health um, as a way of helping their kids because they're very focused, you know, moms are moms and they're very focused on their children and the betterment of their children. And sometimes they sort of don't take care of themselves as much as they, as they might need to because kids require a lot of attention. And these moms, are, a lot of them are single. Um, so our, our sort of our intervention sort of approach is very much like what you hear when you're on the airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on somebody else, because obviously if you pass out, you can't help anybody else. <laughs> um, so it, it's sort of that kind of approach. And so working with sort of recognizing the strengths in these families and in, in these moms and helping them sort of build from those strengths. Yeah, I completely agree with the whole 
mask over yourself. It's something you always forget. <laughs> you have to carry yourself first. Andrea has twins, uh, Dr. <laughs> I know, right? We all bow down. <laughs> you know, um, I'm struck by how many times you say mom <laughs> only because, and this is where I get to like toot your horn a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm the mother of a four-year-old and uh, now going to be one-year-old. And to have you as, as a boss in this time of my life has been something that I give thanks for every day because how understanding you've been and how, you know, how really supportive you've been. And, and, and I do have to like toot you for a second to say that. And, um, and I also think that it's, it's something that, you know, maybe mentors don't get right all the time or bosses don't get out right all the time. Like, how do you manage that? How do you manage to make me feel so supported? Well, I mean, especially I think now in the, in the time that we've just gone through with COVID, I mean, it was so blatantly clear that, um, you know, life impinged on work and work impinged on life. I mean, we were all in the same roof, literally working and, and taking care of our families and trying to balance that out. And I know very, very clearly what a challenge that is. Um, and uh, I was also fortunate when, um, when I was early in my career that the director of Center for Family Studies, Jose Chapasnik, was extremely supportive of parents. And if you needed to bring your kids to work, you brought them to work and people entertained the kids. And, um, and it was just, you know, you did the work, you know, because I think we all have that really that desire to to really contribute and to do the work. But when the kids need us, they got to come first. And that's just life. You know. Yeah, imagine having that kind of, you know, influence on, you know, somebody like me, like, you know, starting out my, you know, my career here and and having somebody that understands that, like, I feel very, very um grateful for that. So oh, thank good. you. I'm yeah. glad. Yes. So great. So, um, you know, one of the things that I like to, to talk to in general is like, how do you, how do you explain your career to people outside of this? <laughs> like, you know, a lot of our other people that get into public health or, you know, especially, you know, in our culture, whatever, you're going to be a doctor or whatever. So they start by, I'm going to be a doctor and then somehow find themselves into public health. Um, was that kind of your, your, your kind of, I, you know, got, got your, excuse me, your journey. Um, and, and how do you talk about your career in general? Yeah. You know, it's, um, the question I get a lot is, wait a minute, what does this have to do with psychology? Um, and, and so, and so then I have to explain, you know, uh, basically that so much of, of health is about our behaviors, uh, you know, our behavior influences our health and our health influences our, our behavior and our mental status and that the two things are really connected and that I, you know, sort of focus on more the, the behavior and mental health side of things. And I work with other um, professionals, public health professionals, nurses um, who have the, these other sorts of views about it. So that's one question I get a lot and that's sort of the way I explain it. I probably don't talk that much with people in my, in my social and family life about my work. It's sort of, it's sort of, I leave that here uh, in a way. Um, I think maybe you've got into a place in your career where like your parents aren't asking you like, what is it that you're doing? <laughs> oh yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, my my mother. Speaking of moms, my my mother was was a pharmacist, and uh, and that's what her she always wanted me to be a pharmacist, but I couldn't handle even high school chemistry, so that was out. Um, and so um, you know, th- there was a stigma around mental health issues, right? And getting involved with people who had mental health problems. And so there was a little bit of discomfort with that um, until they kind of, you know, realized I was gonna be okay. Um, okay. We like but, to know that, you know, they, they we're all feeling the same kinds of things. <laughs> we're not alone in this. Yeah, my, my youngest uh, child, when, uh, when he was little, uh, his explanation to people of what his mother did was that I was a psychic. That's great. <laughs> That's really cute. <laughs> It'd be very helpful, actually. You're cute. Okay. Um, what moving forward, you know, there's a lot of um, people who are, you know, finishing up their education or, you know, going on to the job market. What kinds of tips do you have for young Latinos who are embarking on this journey? Embarking on sort of the academic journey? I mean, academic, public health in general, but whatever advice you can give would be good. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there, if there's certainly a need um, for people in our community to really help, you know, and address the needs of the community. Um, you know, so really being aware of what are the issues that are affecting people like on the ground day to day. Why is it that they're not getting access to care or why is it that they're really not able to follow through with health recommendations to take care of themselves? You know, we saw that so clearly during COVID. Why were, why were the, why was the Latino population, you know, experiencing, you know, the disparities were so clear in terms of, of prevalence and, and severity of disease. And then when you started, you know, sort of scratching the surface, you realized that they didn't have the, the, the luxury of, you know, staying home, that they had to go out, that they needed to be on public transportation, that they couldn't get time off, that they, you know, they maybe were not eligible for, um, for, you know, public assistance or for, you know, unemployment and all those kinds of things. So really understanding that, you know, the, the, the needs on the ground and figuring out where you can make an impact. Um, and, you know, and, Hopefully, because you're working with your community and people that you can relate to, that it feeds your passion for what you're doing, right? Um, and uh, so that would be one one piece of sort of advice. I think learning Spanish is another one. <laughs> it, it makes you know, it's just it makes a difference. Um, yeah. And if you can do that, I mean, I haven't been that successful with my own kids in getting them to learn Spanish, but um, but if. You know, it, it's, it really helps a lot in terms of being able to connect here in Miami, uh, for sure. It makes a big difference if you can yeah. speak the language and connect with people and connect with the communities that you work with. Um, I think that's, uh, that's important. And, and network, you know, like what you all are doing, what you all are, are sort of um, helping to facilitate. I think it's, it's incredibly valuable. So connect with people and, um, f- you know, form yourself a community of, you know, of, of people like you. It doesn't even have to be all Latino, right? But mm-hmm. people who are going through what you're going through, who you can help each other. Like I said, one of the things I've really loved the most about working in Claro is the, um, is sort of the peer mentorship, the networks that people have formed. 
And I think that's invaluable and it makes, makes work fun. You know, you want to really, you're going to be doing this for a long time. So enjoy yourself. I, hear I love that. that you, I love that you, you just said that because that was going to be my like follow-up question. Like what is a, a skill that is not something that you put on a resume that you, it's good for students or, and those who are building their careers to, to cultivate. So definitely networking and peer and seeking those peer mentors. Um, it's helpful. Anything else you think that something, a skill that's not, you cannot put on your resume, but it's really important in the field. You know, you want to, I mean, I think the thing that has helped me the most, I've been in the same institution, like my entire adult life. So that, you know, that's not for everybody, but part of what's happened along the way <laughs> is that I, you know, I know a lot of people and, but more importantly, I think I have a good reputation and that's hard in academia because it really pushes for you to be sort of, you know, tooting your own horn all the time. And that's, you know, that's important in yeah. the application, of course. And when you're going up for promotion, but, you know, be the kind of person that people want to work with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you're going to really have an easier time and it's going to be more enjoyable. And you're going to figure out who the people are who are also good to work with and, uh, and form that circle around yourself as much as you can um, so that you can work for a long time and not get burned out. And I love that. Not you get just, burned out part is important. <laughs> it's very important. Very important. The, the, the not get burned out part. Um, my, my last thing we, we, this, this the podcast started off from a conversation that we had uh, with Cynthia and Cynthia's grandmother. And it's, it's something that we always, this is where we end our podcast with this statement. And we have a poll right now on Twitter. So if you want to partake in our poll on Twitter, go ahead, go ahead and finish this statement. Sana, sana. Culito de rana. Yes, yes. We didn't tie this up. versus Colita. Who's winning? Culito. I think Culito, from last time. I know, but it might be a little biased. Yeah, we're biased. So. We're, we're it's biased. Like, it's all sure. the Miami side. We, uh, yep. The Caribbean. Everything Osmosa is right. The Caribbean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I heard car- Carita. Like Carita. Oh, I have not. That, that's that's not just strange. <laughs> That's another whole, that's a whole different story. That's a whole other thing. That's not even <laughs> sana, sana. Well, thank you so much for giving us the time to be here with us today. Um, your wealth of wisdom is is large and deep, and we're so um, grateful to learn from you today. Um, so, I'm so thankful. Yes, to thank you. I, I want to ask you guys questions. So, oh, uh, oh, yeah. We well, have our own podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes. so much. it's funny because it's true all right thanks everyone for everyone that's listening please remember to subscribe we do have a patreon page now so if you want to go on there and um donate if you liked our conversation 100 percent of the donations are going to go to our student scholar fund which are really excited to be launching, especially in anticipation of our 50th year anniversary. So please um, get on our Patreon page. We'll have it posted in the description. And thanks again to our, our guest today, Dr. Behar Sussman. We then say.